0: of 31. And Friday night, uh, Thursday night, patchy freezing drizzle, then mostly cloudy with a low of 27. Stay tuned for Talk Shop live show, Talking Vets.
1: It's 7 o'clock in Jeffersonville and the surrounding area. It's Wednesday, and it's December the 12th. And all that must mean that it's time once again for Let's Talk Vets. Welcome to our show once again. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. And our mission with this program is, of course, to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area vets, active service members, and their families. Now tonight we've got a couple of great interviews for you, as usual. I hope you will agree. Action Toward Independence in Monticello is a remarkable agency that helps veterans and so many others lead more independent lives. And Honor Flight is a great organization. We're going to go to Syracuse tonight. This organization's sole mission is to afford veterans of all eras and branches with a great opportunity to visit the military memorials in Washington, D.C. And, of course, to witness the majesty of the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown in Arlington. But first, however... Let's have a couple of notable dates for you in December. And December 1st is the Civil Air Patrol birthday. December 2nd through the 10th is, of course, Hanukkah. December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day called A Day Which Will Live in Infamy by Franklin Delano Roosevelt on December 7th, 1941, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. December 13th is the National Guard birthday. December 15th is the National Wreaths Across America, an annual laying of wreaths at veteran cemeteries across the nation. And, of course, the 25th is the celebration of Christmas. Well, it's good to see you tonight. I hope you're all staying relatively warm with the temperature hovering at 29 and going on down be a low of 20 tonight, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Deborah Warden is the Executive Director of Action Toward Independence which is located at 309 South Broadway in Monticello. This unique agency uses a client's basic abilities as a foundation on which to build a more independent life.
2: It's a great pleasure to be here.
1: One of the first things that caught my eye on your website is your mission logo. Disability is not inability. Could you expand on that a little
2: bit? I surely will. Um, Action Toward Independence helps any individual who has a disability. And many times people don't realize that just because someone has a disability doesn't mean that they are unable to do things. We don't look at it as a disability, it's a different ability. And so as a result, we just really want to get out the message that regardless of what your challenges might be that you can still be a very productive member of society.
1: Could you give us a brief overview of the service action toward independence provide?
2: Surely, Um, ATI, which also is what we're known as, provides services for any individual who has a disability and or their caregivers, so if someone has um, diabetes, for example, we can help them with support groups and refer them to different places. Or someone could have an amputation, or mental illness, or chemical uh, substance abuse disorder, or PTSI, post traumatic uh, stress injury. So the the gambit is is wide. Uh, we work with children to adults um, suffering from dementia and everyone in between.
1: With other agencies in the area involved in similar work, Howard Independence Unique.
2: I think one of our great um, uh, assets is our uh, diverse programming. While you have a lot of independent living centers all throughout the area, we each have unique programs to our uh, agency. And for us, one of our very unique programs is the Wounded Warrior Service Dog Program that we have for veterans who have PTSI.
1: Um, Speaking of veterans, How does ATI become aware of a veteran?
2: They themselves happen to hear about us or hear about a program that we've been doing and they then call us and wanting to know how they can be involved and what services we can provide.
1: Veterans in general are proud, independent and reluctant to seek help and at times cynical regarding the civilian world. What do you do to establish a common ground with a veteran?
2: I think that's a great question because you're absolutely right. And from being um, my husband years in the Navy, so being on that side, and that's one of the important aspects of an independent living center. 50, over 51% of our staff, as well as 51% of our board, have to have a disability. So it's that peer connection. And then you're able to actually talk to someone who knows what you're going through or has been through that. And with the Wounded uh, Warrior Service Dog Program, we actually have a veteran who is a peer advocate, and he, too, has a disability. So he has the, the great knack of being able to really connect with that person who is in need of services. And we understand... Most of us have been on both sides of the desk
1: tell us about the service dog program
2: well we had um, done a little bit with service dogs we had a staff member that um, had a service dog for his son who had autism and uh, but the cost was phenomenal to obtain a service dog and then I learned about a grant through the wounded warrior applied we actually didn't receive it and then they had about six months later so I tweaked it and I applied and we did receive that um, our program has been so successful actually that they, we are now entered into our third year of funding and they gave us additional funds to expand into duchess county so our offices serve sullivan orange and duchess but one of the unique things about this program is that it's federal funding and that allows us to go beyond the borders of our county as well as our state so we actually have clients that are in pennsylvania and wayne and pike county in addition to the counties that are neighboring us in new york so
1: how does that program work take me through a typical uh, a vet comes to you, gets into Mm -hmm. the system, you recognize that he's PTSI or Mm -hmm. um, has some sort of developmental problem, That the dog could help?
2: Absolutely. Um, Well, basically, we have to have um, medical documentation, just a doctor's note saying that there is PTSD or PTSI, how they refer to uh, that condition. They bring that to us, and we do. There is an assessment, there's some intake paperwork. Sometimes veterans come to us, and they're not ready to have a dog yet. They've got other things that they're working out, perhaps that they're, or they are in a place that um, they, they can't afford some of the aspects of having an animal. Animal. However, with this program, if they go through that um, uh, screening process and they are determined that they're able to have a dog and go through the training, then all of those costs are taken care of by this program. So uh, the, the fee for the dog, the training that we employ a trainer, they have to participate in regular uh, classes. There's a basic training component, and that's where the dogs learn the sit, come, stay, basic commands, and then they move forward progress with greater levels of training to the point that then the dog graduates and gets a vest and and, um, the identification card of being a service animal. So the veteran goes through the process with the dog. And also the veteran can sometimes, if it's appropriate, use a dog that they currently have, or we are able to obtain a dog for them.
1: And to date, uh, roughly how many of these dogs and veteran matchups have you made
2: as I kind of feel like a matchmaker sometimes because <laughs> you have to really yeah. you, you do you have to find a really good bond that has to happen and we have over 45 at this point since, since the inception of the program um, and, a, and a service dog can cost between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for a dog just straight out of um but with, through our training program it, it really decreases that cost and that's funded and and have the ability to provide a dog Uh, for a very low cost to a veteran and it's free for the veteran it's a very low cost for our funding
1: that's a tremendous program thank you let's uh, switch channels a little bit let's talk about adult education Mm -hmm. and I believe that I observed on your website that there are essentially four paths that you employ to helping people get their high school equivalency diploma
2: Um, It depends a lot on the particular client. If it's a veteran, most times they already have a high school diploma, but there are programs that they want to change their vocation. I actually was just talking to a veteran yesterday who was in um, his field was engineering. He has no desire whatsoever to continue in that field um, and, and actually is now really looking into human services and expanding that. So unfortunately um you know that that he he's now at a crossroads, and how does he obtain that? We end up referring to a lot of other programs. Um, for example, there's a, a program at Sullivan County Community College. Uh, Marywood University in Pennsylvania, for example, has a person that works specifically with veterans because there are programs such as the GI Bill or the Yellow Ribbon Program that would enable them to go to school for very, very little cost, if not even able to get housing allowance and other things and benefits that th- those entities are far more far more well-versed in than we are. So we do a lot of referring back and forth.
1: Yeah, last program we interviewed Bob Eiler out there. And it's a tremendous program.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful. And actually, um, the one in Marywood, for example, my husband took advantage of and he has changed his career completely and uh, and really has benefited from from that type of program.
1: Often a vet will have to reinvent themselves for various reasons. So it seems that one of the great things that you offer is an apprentice program and what's your experience with that? Does that uh, really work out well for vets? I,
2: I think it works out well for anyone who comes to ATI. I think it gives them really a, a great window to see what all the possible challenges are for people that have disabilities, and um, also being at times an apprentice program or just volunteering, that enriches life. Well, to give back to the community, being able to contribute what you know to, to people and to help them in, in this path, um, it, it's been very beneficial for many parties that have been involved.
1: So you work with private industry, you have people that go into their shops, Depending, I guess, on what the complexity is, and, mm-hmm. and you try to m- match the person with the industry in an apprenticeship.
2: It is pretty much. And, and one of our great goals is to increase the employment opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Um, so I happen to chair what's called OCEANS, Orange-Sullivan County Employment Alliance Network. And we honor businesses. Every October we have a great event for uh, National uh, Disability Employment Awareness. And so we work at over 40 businesses in Sullivan Orange County that of employing individuals with disabilities. So us already having the, with those businesses, Lawyers has been a tremendous asset. Good business. I mean, it's how wonderful is it to be able to employ an individual with a disability? Because nine times out of ten, it has been my personal experience that they are far more loyal. They are so grateful to have the opportunity, and amazing things have been done.
1: Yeah, I think Corey Heritage from had said that uh, New York State really lags. I think they're in 40th place out of the nation in employment for folks with disabilities.
2: Yeah, it it is a, a great challenge and I think it's part of our responsibility is also even educating employers because they get a little scared I think sometimes with what's a reasonable accommodation what you know what are the boundaries what what do they you know um but they they don't realize that there's so many benefits and there's also programs that help always such as through access vr and there's other entities that um they actually get assisting program that we've worked with this pathstone they pay the first few weeks of that person's salary so that gives us the opportunity to see if there's a good match if if it works out well and <clears throat> and it's of no cost to the employer
1: do you have a, do you have any opinion or any idea why new york state would be so far behind
2: um i don't really i think that um but meanwhile i i've known statistically that there has been a massive increase in the number of individuals with disabilities gaining employment i can send you that so, statistic actually um so i just find though in sullivan orange county that we're really such an effort we have so many agencies on oceans that are working with this common goal Um, some entities uh, provide transportation for example some places provide again the salary stipend Um, i think that we're working really hard to to change that
1: would you talk for a moment on access vr
2: Yeah, Access VR is uh, a great program that they have for transitioning active duty personnel and veterans. They're very committed to assisting that population, especially, again, with disabilities, to transition to civilian careers. And um they actually are partners with Department of VA. So they yeah, they there is a way that you can apply for access um, services and that's on access um which is one S. Uh, most people get confused. So it's A C C E S and just search for uh, transitioning veteran. And so they provide, again, it's another support network and another way to um, get businesses connected with those veterans that are are willing and very um, able to promote employing individuals with disabilities.
1: What are veterans' employment representatives?
2: Um, those are people, again, that work in those particular agencies that, that do those connecting, that, that kind of do that matchmaking. Um, and we also, one of the wonderful things is after doing this for a while, you develop relationships with that business's HR division or department. So we can make a phone call and say, I have someone I think that would work great for you, would be really, or, you know, or these are what their gifts are or their strengths, you know, um, how do you think that they could meld and having those relationships has been a, a huge factor in, a, in the promotion of our programs.
1: I guess what you could say is you focus on their abilities and, you, and the object is to get them to be more independent and they gain respect for themselves and self-pride and the rest of it through that, right?
2: Absolutely. I think any, anyone that we work with, our goal is to empower them. We're not here to do for you. We're here to help you do for you. And that I think is is why it's successful because someone comes out of this experience. They did it. There, you know, we're like a cab driver. You get us get. You know, you get in our cab and you tell us where you want to go, but you're the one who still needs to determine that. And um, not everyone has the same goal, and not everyone is at the same place in that goal or that process. So we're here to help along the way, um, and that's one of the things that I think makes us unique, and again, that pure aspect to it. Um, so we work a lot with, for example, there's the Bat's House in Liberty, Begin Again Transition Services, and it's a house that helps uh, homeless veterans. So we go there on a regular basis, and, and those people are obviously not in a place to get a dog. They're, they're not able to, at this point in time, have a service dog, but once we help them with housing, getting their life back on track, um, and then that could be a future goal, but they're not gonna be able to obtain that goal if we don't address the current needs that are are right in front of us.
1: Yeah, I I think it's probably real important to be able for them to prove to themselves that they're capable of independence in one area Mm -hmm. and to move forward. So as people go through these different programs, they evolve right and things change
2: they do and and it's not just the veteran and this is where again is is my point of empathy it's the family members um, for example, we had one veteran who just because of his PTSI, PTSI would not go in any public place, would not go to a mall, would not go to a store, would not just had real huge, huge problem with that. So we, he started in the, in the dog program and his family was coming to the trainings with him because they were kind of like, well, what, what is he supposed to do? What are we, you know, how are we supposed to interact with this animal? Um, so the family became part of that one of the great things his end result was last year was the first time that he went by himself to a mall to holiday shop for his family. It was the first time that he was able to buy presents for his children because of a dog, because of this program. And that to me, was a great change. And now the family is even reporting to us that they're able now to see when the signs, If they're now able to identify the triggers. They didn't understand what his triggers were before. Um, they can immediately tell when something's wrong. They will bring the dog to him if the dog hasn't picked that up. So it's been an educational aspect to everybody that's involved with this person.
1: So in terms of your agency, how long have you the agency been here and how many clients do you think that you've sure <laughs> Oh, I
2: have that number. So you I do. do? Okay. Um, actually, oh. uh, ATI has been in existence since 1986. Wow. Um, yeah, it started in Orange County, and we've been able to, again, expand and, and continue to grow, which is a wonderful thing. And we served just last year in our program year, which is from October 1st to September 30th. That's why I happen to have the number, because we just did our reports. But we had over um, 1,194 Uh, clients that we assisted that's not including people who just call up on the phone wanting information that's people identified with a disability
1: and people actually came in and how many of those or percentage were veterans do you have any
0: idea
2: um actually I do and I want to say we have when I first started this program we had like seven to eight veterans now we have 48
1: that's tremendous How do you measure success? I mean, do you have a set of metrics that you run uh, for your reports? And do you follow up with your clients?
2: Yes, we do. Actually, that's part of our process as well. It's very important to get that feedback. We have regular surveys that we send out. We also have a survey after the end of every class or program, so this way we can get immediate feedback. What did um, someone like? What would they do different? But the important question that we always ask what would you do differently because of the program you just attended? So it kind of makes you think and, and look at that. And everyone has different aspects to what they would consider as a success. One person is just happy that they're not in bed every day. And another person is happy when they get their employment, uh, you know, uh, p- uh, you know, papers or, or job to get employment or housing. Um, so it really differs for everyone. So I think what's really important is it's up to that person. That person decides what their goals are. Every person on this planet, especially with a disability, is allowed to make their own decisions, even if they're bad ones and we have to be here for that. So whatever we we lay out a plan, what are your goals? We come up with a list of ways to achieve that goal and it's up to that person to decide what path they're gonna take. And that's how we kind of handle that.
1: Okay, so if there's one overall message that you wanna give our listeners about this agency and about seeking help when you need it,
2: Mm -hmm. what would that be? I think my biggest message, believe it or not, our largest percentage of clientele are those that have um, mental health issues. Substance abuse issues is another large percentage. And I think us changing that stigma and that uh, increasing awareness that we've all gone through something. Um, Most of us have had a childhood trauma or something that happened in their past. So many of us are um, in the same boat and you don't even know it. And a lot of times what my biggest goal in educating people is that most times people have disabilities that you don't see. It's not apparent. Um, And so that being the case, we have to. Uh, be aware that you, you don't know what's going on behind a person's eyes and that, you know, what they're having to deal with and what their struggles have been and, and what they're going through. And that's why I think ATI is here, we're non-judgmental, uh, we're uh, customer service related, very much on hospitality, we always have a coffee on and uh, something, you know, is uh, someone is always able to be here to, to talk to someone. All
1: right, one final question. We have some listeners out there, and if they would like to get more information about ATI, mm-hmm. and is there any way, I, I know that you're funded by the by the state? Or, uh,
2: actually, we have uh, federal, state, and local municipal funding.
1: Okay, do listeners able to contribute as well?
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. We're always willing and asking for donations, 100%. um, And they can decide if it just goes to our general fund or if it's for a specific program. We've been most fortunate to get donations from uh, the Rotary and Kiwanis, for example. And those have been specific for the dog program. So, for example, we were able to purchase dog food because there was a few people that, you know, that was even an expense that they were having a hard time with uh, and to pay for the vet bills and things like that. So yeah, anyone who wants to make a contribution, you can also sign up on Amazon Smile, for example, and and pick Action toward Independence as their charity of choice, and we then get uh, a donation through Amazon. So we're always looking for donations. We're always looking for volunteers. Um, we actually are right now soliciting for board members. So if anyone's interested in becoming a board member, they can always contact me to uh, apply for that. So to get in touch with us, there's a lot of different ways. We're on Facebook. So to just look up Action Toward Independence on Facebook. Well, you can call our office at 794-4228, area code 845, or our Middletown office is 845-343-4884. And uh, so you can c- contact us or email uh, dwarden, W-O-R-D-E-N, at Today.org. And our website is atitoday.org.
1: Well, thank you very much again for your time. I'm sure this will be appreciated by our listeners, and as always, we appreciate the the folks that make this show happen.
2: Well, I greatly appreciate you asking me to be here. I'm very honored, and thank you for your service as well, Doug, and we will never forget.
1: Well, thank you. Here you have it. Action Toward Independence, fantastic agency amongst many fantastic agencies in Sullivan and the surrounding area in New York. Uh, A lot of people doing a lot of great things, and it's especially important during the holiday season, isn't it? This is WJFF Jeffersonville, and you're listening to Let's Talk Vets, and I'm your host, as always, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, and we're happy to have you here where it is 27 degrees on the outside and going down tonight, so uh, take it easy. We're looking for a slight chance of uh, light snow toward morning, and of course up here that uh, can spell some uh, slippery roads. Rear Admiral retired John Paddock Jr is the co-founder and vice president of Honor Flight Syracuse. It's a hub part of a large network, a nonprofit organization created solely to honor America's veterans for all their sacrifices. Honor Flight transports our heroes to Washington DC to visit and reflect at their memorials, and top priority is of course given to senior veterans. World War II and, of course, Korea survivors, along with those who may be terminally ill. Good morning, John.
3: Good morning. Doc. how are you?
1: I'm wonderful this bright, sunny morning. Um, I'm
3: glad it's sunny there. It's snowing <laughs> here. But that's good for us skiers.
1: There you go. Humor me for a minute and pardon the pun. Give us a 35,000-foot overview of Honor Flight, the national organization.
3: Uh, Honor Flight was uh, formed uh, back in 2005, the original Honor Flight, and uh, actually that became Honor Hubs were added. Each of the sites where there is an Honor Flight organization is called a hub, and we have here in Syracuse, Honor Flight Syracuse, we're one of about and 40 of those hubs. Uh, but it basically formed around 2005 uh, in uh, Honor Flight Network with the completion of the World War II Memorial the preceding year. And a gentleman there, Earl Morris, decided he wanted to offer the opportunity for local veterans in his area to see the memorial dedicated to their service and sacrifice. So he started flying veterans to Washington. Uh, this uh, in a big way, and there's, as I met, 140 hubs across the nation.
1: Well, you are the co-founder and vice president of one of those hubs, Honor Flight Syracuse. Tell us a little bit about your hub, missions, et cetera.
3: Uh, Honor Flight Syracuse was formed a few years later. We formed in 2012. We formed as a our own independent 501C3, the vast majority of the hubs across the nation. Uh, we uh, serve a tenor in central and northern New York, up uh, Fort Drum and that area, Oneida County, Madison County, other other places around here, Central New York, Cayuga, Onondaga, so forth. We have flown to date about 12 missions. We our 13th mission is coming up April 27th and 12. Been able to seven military veterans to D.C. to view their memorials, uh, and it's worked out uh, wonderfully for us. It's gone without incident and uh, despite the challenges of serving uh, an aging population. One of the key points of Honor Flight, of course, is addressing this desire and need to uh, provide the opportunity to the aging veterans of World War II and now, of course, the Korean War. Uh, We make those conflicts our priority, but we also take into good condition with terminally ill veterans basically going right to the head of the line if we have such
1: a case. And you strictly um, finance the organization on direct.
3: Yes, we have uh, both corporate and individual donations, as well as other organizations. You might expect uh, you might expect the uh, veteran or themselves, such as the American Legion, VFW, and so forth. Many of the posts in these in our area uh, certainly support us. Uh, as do a number of the the businesses. We have some great local sponsors, such names as M&T Bank, uh, we have uh, Key Bank, we've had uh, SRC, Lockheed Barton Employees Federated Fund, and some of the other key organizations that are really vital to providing help, the Medical-Le Moyne uh, College Department of Nursing that provides the core of our veteran health and safety team. We shoot to send guardians on each of our flights. Uh, and we have those 160 people uh, accompanied by a flight team. It's the core of our, our uh, nine registered nurses that we send on every flight so that we can attend to all the needs of the veterans during the course of the day.
1: Now, I believe you mentioned last time we talked you were social in particular.
3: Actually, American Eagle initially donated the plane and crew for our very initial flight, our mission one back in years ago now. And uh, then we your plane and now we charter an American Airlines jet, a 187-passenger jet, back in a single day. We basically have the plane for the day, the plane and crew, for, uh, and we fly right into Reagan. And later in the day around, and we fly back home to Syracuse. That gives the veterans a good amount of ground to visit all the uh, appropriate memorials, principally the World War II Memorial, of course, the Korean War Memorial, Vietnam Wall, and we also uh, touch base at the uh, Iwo Jima Memorial around Washington. Uh, we use, uh, to facilitate this, we also use uh, the National Park Service police that escort our four buses to get us through all the traffic and to facilitate parking, and that's a, a great deal. The fact that we do fly into Reagan means we're off the plane and onto the buses, the, uh, changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknowns in uh, Arlington.
1: Approximately, what, is it, what does it cost, John, to support a mission?
3: We budget uh, around per mission. As I say, we V80 is our goal of, of the veterans we provide, so it works out uh, uh, pretty well for a veteran-guardian pair.
1: What airport do you uh, fly out of here on this end?
3: Well, up here, it's at Honor Flight Syracuse Hancock International Airport, and that's worth a special mention because here again, it's a lot, a lot of time. It's uh, the people you work with are the most important. The talents that are brought to bear, we have an incredibly great working relationship with the staff of the Syracuse Airport, as well as the TSA there, as well as the fire department, and numerous other organizations that uh, help us out.
1: And you're always on the lookout for talenters. And what's expected of a volunteer?
3: Apply is relatively simple, and you can apply online, or you can download the form and simply mail it in. Then you go through uh, an interview and orientation process. I like to say that the best orientation is simply come to the airport and watch our departure in the morning in the evening, and you get a good sense of the, uh, what you might be doing uh, into the, the, the overall task of how things unfold. But those are what I call mission-specific tasks, where you meet the veteran at the a curb. Maybe you uh, provide a valet parking for the uh, veterans' family car. You uh, get them through TSA, issue the tickets, do all kinds of things. Provide coffee and donut talents. Uh, we interview to find out what a person does in their regular profession, regular job, and uh, those talents are also uh, wonderful: marketing, communications, uh, development, uh, financial kinds of individuals that uh, work in what I call the continuing uh, volunteer roles are also obviously extremely important to the health and the uh, sustainment of the
1: organization. Could you walk us through a mission from start to finish and give us a a flavor for what it really takes to do this thing?
3: Well, we start with the application process. Uh, The veteran can submit an application online and prioritize the list. As I mentioned earlier, World War II, obviously, and Korean War are the priority those veterans and once they're on the stays on the list, we keep that list uh, up to date and as we go through each flight, each mission, we run down the list in a priority order taking into account the, the era the age and the, and the medical condition and uh, that process that's a, the process of vetting the veterans, uh, begins about six to eight weeks before each mission as we go down and say, okay, you have a date, you have an opportunity to go on this next flight that works great. If not, then we proceed to the next on until we fill our goal of 80 veterans. Uh, that process involves much more than simply calling and telling them that they have an opportunity. They also, the nurses make those calls under steel needs of the veteran, and we want Uh, The veteran is supported, whatever means necessary, in order to make that uh, mission. We provide every veteran a wheelchair on the flight when we actually do the flights, whether they want it or and has the responsibility of bringing that along. We've arranged for you in other situations on the other end. And because we don't have the overnight demands and logistics for uh, staying in the area, we come back in one day, it means that we can serve a a spectrum of, uh, of veterans in terms of their medical condition. So that's worked out real well. But that's a, a tremendous job, and, and, and as I mentioned, the Lemoyne Corps of Registered Nurses really makes those calls and makes those offers. Once we have a person on the list, then they uh, get their guardian, and the guardian goes through a similar process. We want to make sure the guardian is capable of addressing the needs and supporting the veteran throughout the day, which begins about 5 a.m. in the morning and can continue till 8 o'clock at, that night. And so we, we want to make sure that the, it's also in pretty good condition. Once we've uh, got the gar- uh, veteran and guardian, then they, they uh, have a guardian orientation on a Friday afternoon before the flight. Our, our flights are all on Saturday. You know, we make it very clear what the guardian's roles and responsibilities. Then on Saturday morning, we have what we call the departure event, which the, the veteran arrives, gets uh, ticketed, gets through TSA, gets on a plane, and off they go. Down in Washington, visit all the memorials that are uh, around the agenda for that particular trip. And then uh, once the plane comes in, in Syracuse, and they're treated to a welcome home when they depart aircraft. And then at the end of the day, after a short welcome home ceremony, which was a uh, long day that's already been experienced by the veterans, it's an emotional period. Pretty well, keep it short, simple, the day after a great full mission.
1: So who is eligible to apply for Honor Flight?
3: any military veteran who has served honorably. okay
1: um, okay, let's talk a little bit before we wrap this up about how our listeners can support honor Flight either nationally or the sherk in particular.
3: There's other hubs in, in, uh, in New York State. There's actually 10 other hubs. Uh, you can Google Honor Flight, go to Honor Flight Network and find out hubs. One of particular note down in your area is the Hudson Valley Honor Flight www.hvhonorflight.com, and uh, that's that local to the that that region. As I mentioned, we serve the ten counties in Central New York. Uh, We're one hundred percent. We basically uh, do all the. Um, Work right here. Uh, we, but we know the key points is that we take people from outside our area. Quite right often, you find the the veteran lives in our area, or the guardian lives in our area. Usually, a younger generation person. So we don't really have hard and fast boundaries on who goes out of our flights. I'm sure the others operate the same way. If you if the timing and the date works for you for that particular veteran uh, and the who the guardian is going to be or where the veteran's located, search out on a flight hub that makes the most sense for that particular situation. At <laughs> or org. you can do everything online. You can apply as a veteran, you can apply as a volunteer, and you can contribute.
1: Okay, terrific. Um, two other points before we wrap up. Um, you mentioned to me last time we spoke about a new role that you're taking on to work with veterans.
3: Yes, in a broader sense, uh, This this is probably of interest to your local folks, and that is that Uh, the New York State Veterans Affairs Commission has been reconstituted, and I serve as a member of that commission, and we're looking forward to uh, the opportunity to uh, support the veterans and look for being or providing other policies and procedures that benefit the veterans
0: throughout the state. Okay,
1: well, I'm going to make a note to check back with you in the future. There was a documentary made by a local public service television station, could you give the link to that because I watched that and that tells the best story of all.
3: Well, you're right. Uh, the the uh, WCNY, our local uh, public broadcasting station in uh, central New York, produced a one-hour documentary on our mission. It tw- had a three-person team uh, followed uh, not only the overall process from end to end but also one particular veteran to kind of help tell that story. It's so well done uh, that uh, that I, we are going to be using that one-hour documentary as an orientation film uh, for our new volunteers. I think of it. Go to uh, W C N Y uh, site and and actually still I still uh, it will be probably accessible for another month or two, and you can watch the whole program because it gets into a lot of the details and it certainly conveys uh, whatever aspect here—it's probably covered in, in that one-hour documentary.
1: Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for your service and your continuing service, and thank you for taking part in our program. We call "Let's Talk Vets" on WJFF in Jeffersonville. Great yeah, thank holiday! Thank you very
3: much again for your for your interest in Honor Flight Syracuse and Honor Flight Network as well. We uh, certainly look forward to you.
1: We want to talk about grassroots organizations that have grown exponentially and we'd like to gratefully acknowledge the following people and organizations for their contributions to this segment. First and foremost, Rear Admiral retired John Paddock, Amy Delia, John Hall, and the rest of the Syracuse Honor Flight volunteers. Also to clarify one thing that I think was lost somewhere along the way, the cost per mission is about $90,000. And that flies 80 veterans and their caretakers um, to Washington, D.C. Now, you can watch that excellent one-hour documentary, WCNY Syracuse, which captures the essence of Honor Flight like no words can. Simply search WCNY Honor Flight One More Tour. And speaking of one more tour, it's come to that time in the show where it's uh, time to get a little bit of the news. This comes from the Associated Press by Chris Carolla. Albany, New York. The remains of a New York pilot killed during world war ii are the first of 27 tuskegee airmen listed as missing in action to be identified the defense pow mia accounting agency the agency charged with recovering and identifying our nation's war dead said the remains accounted for earlier this year are those of lawrence dixon of manhattan dixon was killed in a crash in europe 74 years ago in december he was a 24 year old captain in the 100th Fighter Squadron when he took off his P 51 Mustang fighter plane from a base in Italy to conduct aerial reconnaissance on December 23, 1944. On the way back uh, from his mission, he encountered engine failure and his plane was seen crashing along the Italy Austria border, according to the Pentagon. Now, searches for the aircraft site were unsuccessful, and in 1949, the U.S. military declared his remains non-recoverable. In 2012, an American recovery team did find the crash site in Austria after receiving information from an Austrian researcher. The team found the wreckage matching Dixon's type of fighter plane. Excavations were conducted over four weeks in the summer of 2017, by a team from the University of New Orleans and Austria's University of Innsbruck. that resulted in the recovery of human remains. The skeletal remains were later identified as Dixon's through DNA samples provided by his daughter. And uh, she lives in New Jersey and another relative. The Military Times reports that lawmakers at a recent Capitol Hill hearing Question whether the Veterans Administration or the Veterans Department have the authority to change a major deadline for implementing a portion of the forever GI Bill and seemingly act as if the original one, mandated by law, never existed. Questions from House lawmakers came one day after VA Secretary Robert Wilkie announced the Department will hold off on implementing changes to the housing stipend payments until December 1st 2019. These changes to how stipends are calculated were supposed to go into effect August 1 of this year, a deadline the VA was unable to make because of IT challenges. And while VA leaders plan to correct students' payments from this fall by paying a retroactive cost of living increase come January, VA spokesman Kurt Cashour confirmed to the Military Times that the agency is not planning to go back and pay students for another required change related to a student's physical location once the IT systems are finally up and running. In a companion story, Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, this Thursday urged the Department of Veterans Affairs and major credit card reporting agencies to intervene on behalf of student veterans who could experience long-term financial repercussions from not receiving their monthly housing stipends on time for this semester. Citing information technology failures, the VA missed a deadline in August to implement part of the new Forever GI Bill, which Congress approved last year. This issue resulted in thousands of veterans not receiving their housing stipends or facing delays from housing stipends used by the GI Bill recipients to pay their rent, bills, food, and other living expenses. Duckworth is an Iraq War veteran and asked Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, the National Credit Bureaus, to prevent the situation from damaging veterans' credit scores. And if they didn't, she warned, it could cause those veterans a lifetime of hardship. She said, quote, I think it's going to hurt veterans for a long time. If they've been kicked out of housing or made late payments, then this will affect their ability to get credit, perhaps buy a house, a car, or start a business in the future. The exact number of veterans affected by delays is still unknown. The VA does report a backlog of 183,000 pending educational claims. That was in early October, and most recently publicly available data showed a workload was 80,500 claims as of November 30. more than the same time last year. The VA has received calls from about a thousand veterans who experienced hardships because of delays and had a few credible complaints from veterans facing eviction, said Robert Wilkie, the VA official who recently led to implementation of the new GI Bill. Navy veteran Robert Epps was one of those thousand hardship cases. Epps and his wife and their two children live in Washington State, where he's working toward an electrical engineering degree. The couple had a third child on the way, and Epps was relying on that monthly housing stipend to make ends meet. But by early October, he hadn't received any money. To avoid eviction, he used his savings and was forced to borrow from relatives and family members. After contacting his senator, Patty Murray, as well as the House Committee on Veterans Affairs and the VA, Epps eventually got paid. Now he's worried about the aftermaths of the delays that will carry into the next semester. I have a bunch of late fees to deal with, Epps wrote in an email. Between this stress and the birth of my son, I'm all but certain on a path to have to repeat these classes. Duckworth is calling on the VA to pay any penalties to the veterans incurred with interest such as EPS late fees. In a letter to VA Secretary Robert Wilkie on Thursday, she also asked uh, to work with the three credit reporting agencies to fix any negative ratings for those veterans. Lori Aritani of the Washington Post reports a veterans group is turning to the courts to help with efforts to make airplane bathrooms more accessible for travelers with disabilities. Paralyzed Veterans of America filed a lawsuit Thursday with the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Tenth Circuit asking the court to force the Transportation Department to restart efforts to make bathrooms on single aisle aircraft accessible to those with disabilities. Quote, Our suit is simply asking the Transportation Department to do what Congress directed them to do, said Carrie Ann Jones an attorney for the Democracy Forward Foundation which is representing the veterans groups after years of debate advocates were heartened when in 2016 a committee convened by transportation department reached a consensus on improving bathroom accessibility the agreement is an important step towards ensuring that air travelers with disabilities have equal air access rather to transportation Then-Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox said, It's unfair to expect individuals with limited mobility to refrain from using a restroom when they can fly on a single-aisle aircraft, especially when single-aisle aircraft are being increasingly used towards longer flights. But the suit says not only did the department miss the deadline, but the agency has also signaled it will not follow the directive. The effort ground to a halt when, in the spring of 2018, the Department moved the lavatory accessibility rule to its long-term agenda and thereafter removed it altogether, signifying it has no plans to move forward on that rule anytime soon. Well, one final story for you. Overshadowed by World War II and Vietnam, the 1950 to 1953 Korean War is often called the Forgotten War. The same could be said for much of its music. Music historian Hugo Kiesing and co-producer Bill Gearhart are seeking to change that with Battleground Korea, Songs and Sounds of America's Forgotten War. More than three years after the making, or in the making rather, the anthology's release in May was timely as nuclear talks with North Korea and renewed interest in the Cold War conflict. The effort paid off with a Grammy nomination for the best historical record. The awards will be announced in February. In Portland, Maine, the Tribune News Service, a Maine nonprofit that places wreaths onto veterans' graves, has seen explosive growth in donations during the past decade. Its revenues growing from two hundred and twenty seven thousand in two thousand eleven to fourteen point six million last year, as wreaths across America has grown the company from which it buys all of its wreaths has reaped similar rewards. but the nonprofit and the company Wooster Wreath Company, are run by the same family, and that arrangement is drawing more criticism as the two entities have become more successful. The bottom line is that uh, It just doesn't look good. The optics are bad, and the nonprofit is doing what it can to correct that uh, vision, and no malfeasance or illegality has been found. All righty, then. We gratefully acknowledge the following people and organizations for their contributions to this program. Rear Admiral Retired John Paddock. VP and Co-Founder of Honor Flight Syracuse. Deb Warden, Executive Director, Action Toward Independence. Natalie Gross, The Associated Press, Military Times, Lori Aritani, Washington Post. Chris Carolla, Associated Press, Stars and Stripes, Kim Gamble, and the Tribune News Service. Thank you for joining us once again for Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so that we may get them on the air both in our normal public service announcement segments and this program. You can write us an email, feedback at wjff.org, wjffradio.org rather, and leave us a voicemail at 845 431 Tonight we're going to leave you with a twist on the night before Christmas we think you'll enjoy. Please accept best wishes from the entire WJFF family for a blessed holiday and a happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Until next time, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening and thank you for your service. Company dismissed.
0: The night before Christmas, he lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give and to see just who in this dwelling did live. I looked all around, a strange sight to see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stockings on the mantle, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of far distant lands. Medals and badges, awards of every kind. A sobering thought came alive in my mind. This house was different. It was dark, it was dreary. I had found the home of a soldier. I could see that most clearly. The soldier lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in this one-bedroom home. His face was so gentle, the room in such disorder, not at all how I pictured a United States soldier. Was this the hero of whom I'd just read, curled up on a poncho the floor for a bed. Then I realized the other families that I saw this night owed their lives to soldiers who were willing to fight. In the morning round the world, children would play. Grown-ups would celebrate a bright Christmas day. But they all enjoy freedom each month of the year because of soldiers like the one lying here. I couldn't help but wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in lands far from home. The very thought brought a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees. I started to cry. The soldier awakened. I heard his rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. The soldier rolled over and drifted to sleep, but I couldn't control it and I continued to weep. I kept watch for hours, so silent and still as both of us shivered from the cold night's chill. I didn't want to leave him on that cold, dark night, this guardian of honor so willing to fight. Then the soldier rolled over with a voice soft and pure. He whispered, carry on, Santa. It's Christmas Day, all secure. One look at my watch, I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. May God bless you this night.
1: This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH in Monticello, where we are closing in rapidly on 8 o'clock, and it is 27 degrees. And the outlook is mostly cloudy for tonight. Uh, Tomorrow morning, you could see a little snow and light snow with a uh, high of 28 tomorrow tomorrow night uh, patchy freezing drizzle and a low of 26 on Friday in and out of freezing drizzle etc and a high of 40 maybe F's youth radio
2: project the YR